San Francisco Department of Disability and Aging Services Commission meeting of Wednesday, October 4th, 2023 to order. I am the DOS Commission President, Janet Spears. This commission meeting is being conducted pursuant to provisions of the Brown Act. As noted on the agenda, members of the public may observe this teleconference meeting via sfgovtv.org or sfgovtv channel 78, and they may offer public comment by calling the published public comment phone number. I'd like to welcome the members of the public and the staff who are watching us on SFGov TV. The Commission asks and thanks you for your patience during these unprecedented times. We respectfully ask the public to have patience and expect delays and gaps during the meeting, particularly during public comment. To eliminate background in interference, all panelists and presenters that are presenting via WebEx are asked to mute themselves when not speaking or waiting to present. The San Francisco HSA DOS Commission acknowledges that we are on the unceded ancestral homeland of the Ramatush Ohlone, who are the original inhabitants of the San Francisco Peninsula. As the indigenous stewards of this land and in accordance with their traditions, the Ramatush Ohlone have never ceded, lost, nor forgotten their responsibilities as caretakers of this place, as well as of all peoples who reside in their traditional territory. As guests, we recognize that we benefit from living and working on their traditional homeland. We wish to pay our respects by acknowledging the ancestors, elders, and relatives of the Ramatush Ohlone community and by affirming their sovereign rights as first people. Secretary, please take the roll. Good morning, commissioners. Thank you, President Spears. Commissioners, please respond with present when I call your name. President Janet Y. Spears. Present. Vice President Nelson Lum. Present. Commissioner Sasha Bittner. Present. Commissioner Wanda Zhang. Present. Commissioner Martha Knutson. Present. Commissioner Barbara Sklar. Present. And Commissioner Linda Parker Pennington is not here. DOS Executive Director Kelly Dearman. Present. Okay, President Spears, we have a quorum. Thank you. Commissioners, the next item, item three, is communications. We'd like to provide further instructions for the public comment process. Public comment will be available on each time on this agenda and during general public comment. Both channels 78 and SFGov TV are streaming the number across the screen right now. Each speaker will be allowed three minutes to speak. Comments or opportunities to speak during the public comment period are available via phone call. During each public comment period, viewers and callers will be instructed to call one 415 655-0001 using access code 2662-029-5937, pound, and then pound again. When connected, you'll hear the meeting discussions, but you'll be muted and in listening mode only. When your item of interest comes up, dial star 3 to be added to the speaker line. Best practices are to call from a quiet location, speak clearly and slowly, and turn down your television or radio. You will have three minutes to speak. You will be informed by the moderator when you have 30 seconds left. After 30 seconds, you'll be muted and placed back to listening mode. Alternatively, public comment can be submitted by email to ravi.derbige at sfgov.org. If you submit public comment via email, it'll be forwarded to the commission and will be included as part of the official docket. Are there any communications from the DOS commission members? No. I would like to say one thing. Okay. Ravi? We can move on. Okay. Um, in honor of um, Senator Diane Feinstein and her lying in state, I would like to um, offer a moment of silence before we continue with this meeting.
Thank you. Commissioners, your next item is agenda item four, approving of the minutes of Wednesday, September 6, uh, 2023, the DOS Commission uh, meeting minutes. Um, are there any comments or questions from the commission regarding the Wednesday, September 6 um, meeting minutes? Do we have anyone for the public who wishes to comment? Moderator, please open the phone line for public comment. We'll allow some time for callers to submit their requests. Moderator, do we have any callers in the queue? There are no callers. Thank you very much. Hearing no further requests to speak on this item, is there a motion to approve the Wednesday, September 6th uh, commission meetings? I move. We have a, a motion and a second. Um, Mr. Secretary, please take a roll call vote to approve the minutes. President Janice Spears, how do you vote? Yes. Vice President Nelson Lum, how do you vote? Yes. Commissioner Martha Knutson, how do you vote? Yes. Commissioner Sasha Bittner, how do you vote? Yeah. Commissioner Wanda Zhang, how do you vote? Yes. And Commissioner Barbara Sklar, how do you vote? Yes. Thanks. We have a unanimous vote. Thank you. Commissioners, item five is the executive director's um, report presented by our DAS executive director, Kelly Dearman. Thank you so much, uh, President Spears. Good morning, everyone. Um, I just have a few things to report on. First, uh, the Administration for Community Living, ACL, has published its first ever proposed federal rule for adult prote protective services. So we're currently in the comment period, but this is great because it'll build more infrastructure across the country, um, help states build up their APS programs. Uh, CWDA and our very own Jill Nielsen and Achilles right, are working really hard to uh, read the rule and make sure it meets all of our needs or making comments where necessary. But um, this is an exciting time and we're really happy that this is happening. Um, second, Care Court started on Monday. Yeah, Care Court started on Monday. It hasn't had a huge impact to us as of yet. We are waiting and seeing, um, but we should just all be aware that it has started and um, there's all kinds of rules and it's complicated. Um, <laughs> but, but it's happening and it should be a good thing. Um, all right, last week I attended uh, C4A's uh, strategic planning meeting and for the first time ever uh, we adopted a set of policy priorities for this year which include maintaining a um, sustainable and robust AAA network, um, no wrong door coordinated systems, housing security doesn't mean building housing but means we need to be in the conversation whenever we're talking about housing um, same with economic security and recognizing that many um, older adults would like to work and, and also people with disabilities are um, active and able to work and should be working. Um, affordable and sustainable transportation, uh, which is beyond cars, but making more accessible transportation. Uh, caregiver support and emergency preparedness. Out of that, we had our... Um, legislative priorities for this year, which are gonna be very similar to last year because we didn't get much traction, but it's around um, adding more uh, funding for ADRCs and caregiver support. 
one of the great things that happened is that Susan DeMorris, who is the director of um, CDA, yes, I'm sorry, I get confused. Um, she um, said, it's really important for us to ask for what we want and start with the big number. Start with whatever it is you want, and then we can whittle down from there. So we feel like we have a great partnership with CDA. We're going to work really hard and see if we can um, get some members in our um, legislature to um, work with us uh, to recognize that our population is continuing to age and grow and that we're not ready. Um, lastly, I just want to give a shout out to Rhea Mercado in our office. She and her team are administering um, flu shots at housing sites and they're also working with the outreach team um, so that more folks know who we are, what we do, and why we do it. So huge shout out to Rhea. And I also just want to thank uh, all of my staff um, who um, were so great and gracious while I was on vacation and I did not get one call. <laughs> so thank you very much. Thank you. Um, any questions? Um, I have sister's more question. Does um, does, do, um, do you have blue sauce to be Bernard announcing because I'm trying to combine and work? The um, the pharmacies don't seem to have them, so I was just curious. Right. Do we offer flu shots? Um, the commissioner um, is trying to get hers, and pharmacies aren't, um, do not have them available. So, do any of you have any ideas? Right. So, um, Commissioner, the focus of what um, we are doing right now is for um, people who are homeless, and we are going into those sites. So, uh, homebound. homebound, sorry. Homebound, not homeless. Homebound. Yeah, I was Thank you. Yeah. If I come up with anything, I will let you know. Oh, no. So, I'd be interested in. Um, Maybe offline, you know, a little more about the new APS. Oh, okay. Um, but we could do it offline, but that sounds good. Thank you. Sure. Thank you. Um, I will schedule some time with you, Commissioner, so we can talk about it in more detail. Okay. Thank you. Sure. Um, Executive Director Dearman, um, regarding the no wrong door in the strategic plan, is that statewide or is that uh, are you, this new strategic plan, is it for all C4As? Yes, it's for oh. all C4As, yeah. So that's great to hear. Yeah. And it pretty much mirrors um, what they're trying to do at CDA. So our policies seem to be very much in accord with what they're trying to do. I will say these policies aren't yet in the final final because we all recognize that there is nothing in here that talks about equity. And so we're going to put it in the, the who we are and what our focus is so that it's an overarching, you know, mission statement for us. Awesome. All right. Any other commissioner comments? Okay. <clears throat> Commissioners, item six is the DOS employee recognition. Executive director, is this better? My yeah. 
<laughs> Executive Director Dearman, and I will um, present and will honor Jachi Liu. So, Executive Director okay. Dearman. Thank you. So Jachi Liu is a social worker here at DOS in the in-home supportive services unit whose empathy and understanding for all her clients and colleagues alike shines far and bright. Jachi is compassionate and caring and serves her caseload of over 350 clients with unending patience and respect for everyone she works with. She has been with IHSS since September 2021 and prior to joining IHSS, she was an eligibility worker who worked with clients coming from diverse backgrounds in all sectors of life, which allowed her to transition seamlessly to IHSS. Jachi's amazing communication skills with everyone she works with has made her a standout and a role model in our department. As an IHSS social worker, she continually displays her kindness and compassion for all of her clients, and she goes above and beyond her powers in making sure all of her clients' needs are met. Combined with her thoughtfulness, she is diligent and never appears overwhelmed when, even when juggling a multitude of tasks and still finds the time to help her colleagues. She has exceptional organizational skills, and she is a high performer and a quick learner here at IHSS, who can work independently and think outside the box. One of her best qualities is that she's a team player who welcomes the opportunity to develop new staff by allowing them to shadow her during home visits. She enjoys learning new processes and recently took the opportunity to, to accept an acting position with the quality assurance team to grow and develop new skills. Jachi's hard work and dedication is greatly appreciated, and we here at DOS and everyone at IHSS would like to thank her for all of her hard work and dedication and let her know how fortunate we are for her commitment to her clients and her colleagues. Thank you again, Jachi, and congratulations on being the DOS October 2023 Employee of the Month. Thank you, thank you, Kelly. Um, thank you, Das, for giving what? me this opportunity. And um, I thank everyone uh, in my department. They gave me so much support. Um, they really, really gave me a lot of opportunity to learn and grow. So um, I really want to thank my department. If it wasn't for them, I wouldn't be here today. So thank you, everyone. Thank you. And on behalf of the commission and the commissioners, thank you so much for your work. IHSS and the fact that you are handling 350 clients is amazing, and we appreciate everything that you're doing for all of the community members that you serve. So thank you so thank much. Thank you all. Thank you. Take a picture. And then before that, we didn't end the meeting, so it was about two months. So. Yeah, I'm okay. I'm having uh, a long-term low energy. Really having trouble getting back to speed, but I'm I'm under care, and there's nothing wrong. I'm just. I'll, I'll put a prayer for you. <laughs> Thank you. So it's, and I had a mild case. It wasn't bad. But it lasted for weeks. <laughs> Thank you, Jim. I couldn't get a negative reading. I can... 
Did you drive here? All right, commissioners. Item eight, item seven is the advisory council report presented by the advisory council president, Diane Lawrence. Good morning, commissioners. <clears throat> Deputy Director Dearman. Um, I have three reports kind of combined here, but I think it was pretty detailed, so I'll just give you the highlight. I hope it was pretty detailed. I'll just give you the highlights. There was an action item from last month's meeting on um, when I talked about the site visits and how we get more information out. So we're still working on that, but we did have a discussion <clears throat> at the meeting, and um, Mike Zog brought the uh, card, postcards in multi-languages for the hub. And um, one of our members handed them out at a local uh, farmer's market and grandparents' day celebration. So what we were talking about is how do we make the hub, people know about it. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, either some kind of card or whatever. So we'll continue to have those discussions and, and brainstorm. I did, as I just told uh, Mike, give out the hub number the other day at a mm -hmm. assembly member, Phil Ting's town hall. Somebody had some questions, so I just carried on my phone and handed out. So, um, and the major piece of uh, business at our last meeting, we had a lot of discussion, was on our proposal to change this, the process for joint ledge. And I've outlined the, fi the final priorities. And I want to thank Commissioners Lum and Bittner for their input um, and support of that decision. It was both um, unanimous at the joint ledge and with the um, advisory council. But what we will be doing over the next couple of months <clears throat> as we get ready for January is looking at, um, as Executive Director Dearman just spoke on C4A priorities, California Commission on Aging priorities, and see how we can align so that we as a AAA are moving all in the same direction. Um, so I'll have more updates on that after the first of the year. Um, we had an update on the Disability Cultural Center. Um, there was some discu discussion around funding and the purpose, and I think we got some clarity, so I think we're in pretty good shape there. Um, it was nice to see the rebar going up as I uh, came up Van S this morning. Um, LGBTQ updates, Open House is building a 15-story LGBT LGBTQ housing, uh, which will be the largest in the city, and that will be on market around the corner from their Laguna Honda, their Laguna Street site. So we um, are excited about that and we'll get um, continued updates. The, um, our membership, we still struggle. Um, our Board of Supervisors vacancies continue and I wanna thank Executive Director Dearman for her efforts with some of the supervisors. We have sent, um, I did do an update at the Dignity Fund Coalition meeting um, to, um, to ask for suggestions if they know any, both for commission uh, vacancies and supervisorial vacancies. We did send um, Supervisor Chan a resume, and we also, a member of, uh, from the, uh, uh, for District 5, someone uh, was recommended by the Tenderloin Development Network, um, and Lisa came, so we've sent that her resume on, and she actually came to our last meeting, and we would love to have her on the, the council. She comes as a client, so provides really wonderful um, insights. So we still are working. We have five commission openings, and we may look, if we don't 
depending on what happens with the supervisors, uh, may possibly ask the two, res the two people we have resumes from to serve, uh, to present them to your nominating committee for approval because they would add a lot to the, to the council. Um, and we got a couple of updates as I outlined here on legislation. The one I wanted to stress is one of our uh, members, Stephanie, uh, Dignam is, works with the ARC, and she will be holding some um, affordable uh, connectivity programs. So our guest who works with one has one of those programs, and Stephanie were able to connect and, and do some additional work, and we've uh, referred her to senior, senior and Disability Action for their ATT program, so we'll get some updates on that. And as I mentioned before, and it's not in here, um, one of our, our council members, um, her group, Senior Power, sponsored a Grandparents' Day uh, at the Outer Sunset Farmers Market back on September 10th and handed out um, information on the hub, information on sidewalk repair, information on um, being prepared in emergencies, and really had a lot of, uh, I happen to be there, very cr a lot of cross-generational um, Interaction, so it was really, um, I think, very successful. Plus, it was a nice day in the sunset. Do you want me to just go ahead, Ravi, or do you want to call the joint ledge piece, or was yeah, it part I'll of it? Yeah, go ahead and call it. Um, thank you, President Lawrence and Commissioners. Are there any questions from the commissioners on the on the advisory council report? Uh, I just had uh, one, and it's more of a thank you to Commissioner Slum and Jung for working through the joint ledge new structure and getting that passed. Really appreciate that. I think it'll allow us to operate um, more effectively and mo most importantly, provide more time to actually do advocacy work, which I know is a priority. I think having been on that group for quite a while, um, I think it's an, it's an exciting uh, change as we work through the process over the next year, um, especially with a brand new session starting, so we'll have brand new bills. So thank you. Yeah. Uh, one more? Yes, good morning. Thanks for your report. And I just wanted to ask you, you said you had five openings on the advisory. Which districts are you still needing? Because I am actively recruiting. I should have them memorized. So uh, one, five, seven, nine, and ten. Okay. Oh, ten is open. Okay. Thank you. Yeah. And we've sent two resumes to two of the supervisors. Super. Thank you. And our mem <clears throat> just so you know, our members are looking also, so... <laughs> We keep, uh, we keep, we're doing our best. It's a priority of mine for next year. Are there any other comments from commissioners? Okay, you're back up, Robbie. Okay, thank you, commissioners. Commissioners, item eight is the joint legislative TAC report, also presented by the advisory council president, Diane Lawrence. So there's not, I don't think there's much here to point out. Um, we summarized the bills we focused on. I'll have a much more thorough, more thorough report next month when uh, we'll meet after the governor has met the deadline. So he has until October 14th. I put um, some definitions at the bottom, mainly for me, because I keep reading these terms and wanted to make sure I was clear, so I thought I'd just add them to the report. Um, and then again, we, we did the first round of the um, action item to, to change how we meet going forward. So our first in-person meeting for the joint ledge will be March of next year. But we will be in communication as we get the bills 
And if we need to call a meeting sooner, or if we need to add a meeting during the year, that's all part of this. And we are pretty sure that we don't need to make any um, changes to our by to the uh, council's bylaws. And um, there's nothing really formally written about joint ledge uh, that we would need to change in your bylaws or charter piece either. Awesome. We looked at that years ago. Thank you, President Lawrence. Are there any comments or questions from the commission regarding the joint ledge and slash TAC report? I just have a quick comment. I just, President Lawrence, I just want to thank you for uh, the new format for the summary of bills. That was really, really helpful. And I needed the terms, too. Thank you. <laughs> and as I come across them, I'll just keep adding them. My old history major comes in handy when it comes to footnoting. <laughs> yeah, and I just want to thank you for, um, you know, coming up with the new forms. I think it will work really well. Thank you. Well, I want to thank you and Commissioner Lum for your help. You give us great insights, and that has been a real um, addition to the, to the group. So we'll be ready to go in, Jan in March. We'll start That's in January, correct. but yeah. we'll meet in March. Okay. Any more questions? Okay. Commissioners, thank you, President Lawrence. <laughs> Commissioners, item nine is the case report presented by Dan Gallagher. Morning, Commissioners, Executive Director Dierman. It's a pleasure to see you all today. Um, I'll first start with uh, the case uh, programming. In September, um, we had Kathleen Sullivan, the Executive Director of Open House, and uh, Jupiter Peraza, the Outreach Coalition Manager of Open House, um, present their um, plans on a research that they're doing uh, in collaboration with Citrus at UC Berkeley, the University of California at San Francisco, and the California Department of Aging um, that aims to survey the aging experience of LGBTQ plus Californians. The purpose of this study is to develop baseline information on the health, economic, and well-being of older LGBTQ plus residents of California throughout a statewide survey. The study also aims to provide statewide data to support the master plan on aging <clears throat> and uh, goals and objectives and to inform California public policy decisions and to improve the care and services of California's LGBTQ plus older adults um, and give attention to all state regions and, and the population diversity. Um, Jupiter detailed plans to promote the need for community members of the case-affiliated agencies to complete an assessment regarding um, the LGBTQ plus older adults and persons with disabilities um, to um, include those findings into this research project. So we are happy to uh, oblige and do that. In October, um, Susan Stadler, who's the executive director of At Home with uh, Growing Older, um, and she's an architect, um, is uh, giving a presentation on the Aging 360 workshop, which is developed by At Home with Growing Older. And uh, Aging 360 engages participants in simple, no-cost or low-cost, age-friendly home adjustments 
um, that can be executed with or without and there's some minimal uh, uh, services from a handyman um, or a friend and, and certainly would address the needs of many older adults in the Bay Area who live in older homes that need adaptations um, to help them live at home. So we're looking forward to that. And lastly on our calendar is a uh, presentation from Jamie Goddard, who is the director at SF Reserve of the Community Living Program. Um, and Jamie is gonna give an overview of SF Reserve as they match talented and skilled older adults and people with disabilities with part-time and project-based work at local nonprofits and uh, community-based organizations. So, and that's the case programming for the next couple of months. In December, we are uh, making plans for our holiday party. Case activity, and you've heard this from um, both Fiona and I in the last couple of months as uh, Case has been supporting the work of the service provider working group on um, uh, trying to salvage some funding for, uh, for the emerging needs that are um, happening with our uh, older adults and people with disabilities here in San Francisco. Um, we all know at this point that the $3 million contribution to the Dignity Fund was suspended this year, um, and then um, we did not receive any money through the ADVAC process. So we are left with um, uh, looking for one-time only funds at this point through the department. And um, the service provider working group uh, has met several times to identify um, several needs that, um, that are listed here, and, and I think Fiona went through this in, our, in the last meeting with you, and we are looking at the November uh, Oversight and Advisory Committee to make recommendations for three or four of the top primary needs. We just don't know what the funding looks like at this point, and apparently we won't know that until the, uh, the November meeting with the Oversight and Advisory Committee. So we can have that discussion at that point. And that concludes my report. Thank you, Mr. Gallagher. Are there any questions from the commission regarding the case report? Okay. Um, thank you so much for yep, that you. report. Thank you. Commissioners, item 10 is general public comment, an opportunity for members of the public to address the commission on matters that are not, not on today's calendar. Are there any members of the public that would like to address the commission today? Moderator, please open the phone line for public comment. We'll allow some time for callers to submit their requests. Moderator, do we have any callers in the queue? There are no callers, thank you so much. Commissioners, your next item is item 11, old business. Commissioners, please indicate by raising your hand if there's any old business you'd like to discuss. No, and no one online? Okay, we can move to item 12. Commissioners, the next agenda item is item 12, new business. Items 12A and 12B are informational only. Item 12C through 12G are action items that require a vote by the commission. The first item is 12A, the Community Living Fund six-month report, January through June of 2023, which is informational only, and Melissa McGee will present this item.
hobbling up here. <laughs> All right. Okay, good morning, President Spears, Commissioners, and Executive Director Dearman. My name is Melissa McGee. I'm a program manager at the Office of Community Partnerships at DOS. I'm here today to present the Community Living Fund six month report covering January to June 2023. The Community Living Fund, or CLF, was created in 2006 through a San Francisco ordinance to support aging in place and community placement alternatives for people who would otherwise require care within an institution. A section in the San Francisco Administrative Code requires that DOS report CLF's level of services and costs every six months. My report today will be fulfilling this requirement. CLF provides home and community-based services using a two-pronged approach of coordinated case management and purchase of goods and services. The Institute on Aging, IOA, is currently the contracted service provider for these services. <clears throat> the program serves adult San Francisco residents with incomes up to 300% of the federal poverty level. The individuals must be willing and able to live in the community with appropriate supports and they have to have a demonstrated need for a service or resource that will enable them to live in the community and prevent institutionalization. The target population includes individuals ready for discharge from Laguna Hana Hospital, Zuckerberg San Francisco General Hospital, and other San Francisco skilled nursing facilities, or individuals who are at imminent risk of institutional placement but are willing and able to remain in the community with wraparound services. The Community Living Fund program provides housing subsidy support through Brilliant Corners, our contracted community partner that administers rental subsidy and helps acquire scattered site housing units throughout San Francisco. Uh, the fund also includes a public guardian housing fund that specifically provides housing subsidy and assistance to individuals conserved by a public guardian and also meets CLF criteria. And I just want to identify some highlights from the report. <clears throat> In the six-month report covering January to June 2023, CLF received a total of 93 new referrals during this period about 54% of those referred were eligible and 50% of those eligible were approved to receive services. CLF served 245 participants in total with 62% receiving intensive case management services through IOA. 100 of these also received rental subsidy through Brilliant Corners. Trends in ethnic profile of new referrals remain generally consistent with prior periods with some minor changes. Referrals for white individuals decreased slightly and remained the largest group at 38%. Black African-American referrals are at 30%, which is a slight increase over the last period. Latinx remains steady at 15%, and Asian and Pacific Islander referrals increased slightly to 13% from last period, but remains consistent with overall trends to date. Those identifying as other or unknown race remain steady at about 3%. Also during this reporting period, CLF continued to support the DAS Public Guardian Office through the PG Housing Fund by providing housing subsidies and assistance to six conserved participants. 
The most common services requested at intake remain broadly consistent with prior periods. These include case management, 69%, in-home support at 69%, notably requests for support with assisted devices, 46%, and food, 42%, appeared more frequently than in recent periods, while requests for housing-related services declined. As for program costs, this reporting period shows a net increase of $383,957 in CLF program costs over the prior six-month period, with increased costs in case management, scattered site rehousing, and one-time investments in data systems. With home care costs and rental subsidies, that averages $3,047 per month. Excluding costs for home care and rental subsidies, average monthly purchase of service costs for CLF participants who received any purchase service was 129 per month in the latest reporting period, which is a decrease of $52 from the previous six-month period. Finally, finally as, as of September 2023, the CLF waitlist had 24 referrals waiting to be assigned. On average, these individuals have been waiting for 125 days. Approximately 92% are waiting for intensive case management. The, uh, the others have been referred for purchase of service only and have a separate community case management. This wait list is slightly longer than the wait list in the prior period, but lower than historic wait list trends. Consistent with the prior period and in a reversal of historic trends, individuals waiting for purchase of service have spent less time waiting on average than those waiting for intensive case management, an average of 75 days waiting compared with 129 days. And just one final thing, um, an important new addition to the CLF program is the relationship with the San Francisco Health Plan. Uh, towards the end of this reporting period, that process has been implemented and referrals had begun. So this will be an interesting addition to the next six-month report. Um, and that's it. Any questions or comments? I have a question. Um, Ms. McGee, can, can you explain a little bit more, remind me, uh, the involvement of the health plan? Our San Francisco Health Plan? Right. Hey, Commissioner Zhang, do you mind putting your mic? Yeah. Okay. Right. Uh, you had just mentioned that a new addition is the, is that now San Francisco Health Plan will now be involved. Can you remind yeah. me what that means? What? Yes. What, 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 what is yeah. happening there? Yeah. yeah right. So um, <laughs> I, I think a month or two, or I can't remember exactly ago, I brought the um, the contract with the health plan to the commission for right. approval. So we have, um, DAS has a relationship, a contract with self, uh, San Francisco Health Plan, and they'll refer um, clients to us who meet CLF criteria um, for um, enhanced care management, they call it. And okay. so those clients will, our contract is with the health plan, but the clients will be served by the IOA CLF program. Right, okay, thank you, thank you. I actually, I, I have just one other minor question and then a comment. My minor question is, um, I don't know why I'm picking this up, but under de demographics, um, I noticed that there's a high percentage of zip codes that were coded 40%, so, I'm um, just wondering why there's such a gap. Whereas, uh, that would be on your report on page three, the top of it. It says, um, 
that uh, the proportion of referred clients with missing or unknown zip code increased sharply in this period, accounting for 40% of all the referrals. Um, I'm sorry, I can't really hear you, but are you saying the bottom oh. of page two? Yeah, it starts oh, at the okay. bottom of page two. It talks about zip code. For some reason, um, the zip code coding, oh, um, we have 40% that's unknown. It's from mm -hmm. previous reports, it was only like 12%. So are they not coding the zip codes? Is that what's going on? Yeah, I suspect, but I'm I was just wondering because that gives us a good idea exactly, yeah, you know, where where, where the uh, clients. Hi, good morning, commissioners. My name is Aditi Valor. I work with the planning team and help prepare some of the data analysis that supports the six-month report. Um, as you may know, and I think we've also written about in the um, the program update section of the report. Uh, DOS has recently undergone uh, an important database transition okay. um, that affected the, um, the data entry for program intakes. This is an area that we suspect but are still sort of digging into um, that may be not a function of business process oh. but instead uh, a, a technical uh, challenge that we're still resolving with our database vendor. Okay. So that's our suspicion at the moment but We'll uh, hopefully resolve this by the time we come around for the next six-month report. Okay, great. Thank you. Thanks. Thanks for recommendation. And then my one comment under systemic changes, I just want to comment and uh, that I'm very pleased to see that um, in this period of time that now um, Open House is involved. Um, they're part of the CLF Advisory Committee, and that's a great addition. Yes, so. I agree. Thank you. Thank you. Other questions from commissioners? Quick question. Sure. Yeah, if you don't mind. Um, it, it, the report notes that there's a lower um, incidence of referrals, and it indicates that's because of a change at Laguna Honda. Yeah. Um, it all made sense and was answering my questions. But then it, what, you also still have a waiting list, and is it because that's apples and oranges? I'm kind of assuming that the people, mm -hmm. you know, yeah, the it wasn't an opportunity to address more people on the waiting list because of that? That's my question. Yeah, the, I mean, the waiting list uh, is a consistent, you know, consistently have a waiting list and often it's uh, the process of conducting outreach and before enrolling the clients and, and mm -hmm. uh, that sort of thing, as well as in this, in this specific reporting period, some staffing issues which have been fixed and they have full staff, so. Okay, thanks, that does fill it out a little yeah. bit to explain that, okay, thank you. I have uh, one question. This is, um, there's been a significant, this is on page, chart one, page five or six, um, the significant decline in IOA um, serving clients um, in this um, processing from 206 to 150. I'm sorry, I have to ask you to speak up a little bit. Oh, sorry. I've never been told to speak up, but. <laughs> <laughs> I guess it is a point. This is regarding the number of CLF clients served by IOA that declined in this particular service period um, from 206 to 153. That's a significant drop-off. Um, and I was just wondering, um, the clients served, this is in your chart number one on page six. Uh, I think I read that correctly. Oh yeah, to, yeah, on chart number one. Yeah, 
I'm not exactly sure of the answer for that. I mean, I think that part of it is the referral process from um, Laguna Honda and the challenges there, okay. as well as you know the staffing issues and that sort of thing. But I'm happy to look into it a little further and then send Ravi a note to pass on to you. That would be, that that would okay? be great. I, I'm just curious how, um, the other one seems to be the brilliant, the scattered sites seems to be pretty consistent during yeah. this time period. Mm -hmm. So I was just curious about that. Okay. Any other questions from commissioners? Okay, this was information only. So I think. Oh, we're gonna ask the public real quick. No okay. vote. Are there any members of the public that would like to comment on the Community Living Fund six month report January through June, 2023? Moderator, please open the phone line for public comments on the Community Living Fund six month report January through June, 23. We will allow some time for callers to submit their request. Moderator, do we have any callers in the queue? There are no callers, okay, thank you. Okay, the next item is, I'm speaking up now, is uh, <laughs> item 12B, presentation of DOS uh, fiscal year 23-24 schedule of requests for proposals, which is also an information only. This would be Steve Kim and Mike Zog will present this item. Good morning, commissioners and executive director Dearman. My name is Steve Kim, contract manager for Human Services Agency, Office of Contract Management. With me today is my colleague, Mike Zog, program director of DAS, Office of Community Partnerships. We are here today, this morning, to present four-year dignity fund cycle along with fiscal year 23-24's request for proposal schedule. Every year, contracts and program staff work together to develop this schedule. The schedule gives an overview of what we are working on and programs and contracts we'll be bringing to DOS Commission for approval. I will pass on to my colleague, Mike, to start the overview. Good morning, commissioners. Um, so this first slide here, I don't know if you're familiar with this. Hopefully you are. It's, it's themed throughout many of our documents. This is sort of the four-year um, contract dignity fund cycle that we use, and this helps filter in what contracts are up in each fiscal year. As you see, we've taken our approximately 250 total grants um, that we that, that we utilize and, and group them into three different categories. Um, we alternate them on different years into four-year grants. This is a way to uh, ease administrative burden and the amount of contracts we're bringing before the commission. It puts our grantees into um, longer-term grants that they know are there for four years to create some stability and allow for growth and, and development of their programs. Um, it also allows us to focus on specific areas each year. Um, so let's see if my... There we go. No. So my little circle there is where we are right now. That's, uh, uh, yeah. Uh, we are right now in that circle. We are RFPing do, uh, uh, contracts that are set to expire for in June 30th of next year in 2024. We're getting at that right now so that we, it, it takes a while to do that. So we get at them over the next couple of months um, and present them throughout the spring to this commission so that everything is set up and ready to go um, for July 1st of 2024. Um, at, Generally, everything that you will see before you today is going, with a couple of exceptions, is going to start um, July 1 of 2024 and run for that four-year grant period. Sorry, he got fancy on me and did a transitional thing on the uh, PowerPoint. 
Um, there are 25 RFP items this year driven by 81 grants, as uh, Mike ex uh, explained, that are expiring this fiscal year, June 30th of 2024. For last fiscal year, 22-23, we had 33 RFP items uh, generating 125 new grants and contracts. 80 of them were just on the July commissioner alone. In addition, there were also 87 modifications totaling total of 125 plus 87, 212 action items that were generated for last fiscal year. Modifications are typically generated by ad bags, OTOs, and or CODBs. So I'm now gonna kind of quickly run through what's on the calendar for the upcoming year. Um, starting out, we have a couple that are um, actually gonna go into effect um, in, the, in the immediate future. We have our Disability Community Cultural Center, which is coming very momentarily to this commission, um, as well as our District 6 ADRC services. These are things that we have uh, bid out and procured over the past few months. Uh, we have our Creative Aging Pilot Program, um, which is listed as a September release. It's actually gonna be come out on October 10th, um, but that will still give us time to get to um, January commission. Our Aging and Disability Resource Centers, there are 13 of them um, located throughout the city. Um, we are uh, going out to bid on new grants for those programs, um, so that will be started shortly. Um, moving on to the next one, our, um, our adult day programs, including adult day, um, uh, adult day programs and, and Alzheimer's dementia um, uh, care and resource centers are going out for, for bid. Um, our education and advocacy peer mentor programs for people with living with, living with disabilities, those have been in effect for a couple years now. Uh, we will see those um, RFP'd uh, in this year. Moving right along, our, our HICAP program, our housing subsidies, um, our Reserve uh, Employment Program, which I think Dan Gallagher alluded to in his uh, program earlier, uh, which um, are our programs which are up uh, this year. Our um, suite of legal and naturalization services. There are a number of grants in that area. About 10 different providers help us with um, providing legal support for clients as well as support um, for um, uh, permanent residents uh, naturalizing um, to become United States citizens. Um, here. Um, last slide of our, of our laundry list, uh, we have our SF Connected uh, programs, our, our digital technology programs, our largest group of them uh, up this year. Um, we have something, MOCA Supportive Services. Um, this, is, this is new programming, this is new funding which we received from the California Department of Aging. It is intended in a broad category of aging in place programs. Um, we are currently in the process of still researching um, kind of how broad that is and, and understanding needs in the community and various ideas that are out there with the idea that we will come up with a more um, focused uh, procurement for a service in that area um, into in, in next year. You'll see that, you know, with seeing that later in, in, in mid-2024. Okay. With that, I'm gonna kick it back over to you, Steve. This slide shows uh, two items that we'll have for source, source program this year. Source source is an option uh, where uh, we determined that these are the only grantees that, uh, or agencies that are only able to provide these services. 
Although source source does not go through a normal RFP process, we must go through the approval process following the source source guidelines of the city's administrator office. So the items we have on here is first on is the legal assistance for veterans with mental health claims. And the reason why this is a source source is because this was uh, awarded uh, by the uh, California Department of Veteran Affairs specifically with this uh, specific vendor uh, as part of the grantee, uh, namely source to plowshare. Uh, the next item, uh, public conservative public guardian database system platform migration. Uh, sources. We're anticipating this as a uh, May potentially because we are looking to migrate the platform that it's been used since uh, late 90s, 20, uh, 2000s uh, for the public conservative guardianship management, case management, and services that we provide. Um, we currently are um, early adapt. We are the early adapters of this program, and uh, we, um, in doing so, we are about two platforms, technology platforms behind the current latest version. And as you know, those of you who haven't gone through the uh, your own laptops and uh, PCs in the past. If you go fall back on versions and platforms behind, you don't get the necessary support and security uh, support that you get. So this will be something that we'll be working on for this year. And it's uh, uh, place marked here for May, potentially to if we are in, uh, needed of additional funding for that migration platform uh, 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 transition. With that, I will be available for any questions and concerns that you may have. So questions, Commissioner? Well, uh, well, first of all, I want to say thank you for PowerPoint. My heart leapt when I saw PowerPoint here because I'm just so used to looking at these. So, uh, but I did have a couple of just small questions about acronyms because I'm kind of new to, to a lot of this stuff. And on the first um, four-year Dignity Fund cycle, you have CNA and SAP, and you might have defined those, but I didn't catch it. Yes, that CNA is our community needs assessment. Um, that is a process by which we um, go through a variety of sort of data and focus groups and other surveys and things to understand the needs in the community. The SAP is the service and allocation plan. That is a result of, that is born out of the community needs assessment. That is the department kind of distilling the community needs assessment into our planning when, as we look forward for the four years. Fantastic. And then I just wanted to, to comment. I was really happy to see a number of initiatives around technology and providing uh, access for elders and, um, you know, platforms. And so that's, that's, that's really good to see. Um, and then one thing that might be helpful on this, if you want to consider a rev, you know, next time around would be, you know, just general size of the RFP uh, for these categories, uh, just because, you know, numbers will give me a sense of scope for, for each of the initiatives, so just a, just a comment. Yeah. I have another acronym question. What's MOCA? That's a good, you know, I didn't say because I couldn't think of it in the moment. Oh. <laughs> uh, it is the Modernizing Older Californians Act. Okay. So those, the history of that is they were trying to um, return the dollars that they took away in 2008 from the 2008 budget cuts. Yeah, I think this is the, you're saying it's the second cycle for this process where they, you've got it all mapped out around the uh, contracts and when to expect them and RFPs and all that. From our standpoint, it's, it's great because I feel like the, we haven't had huge, you know, <laughs> huge meetings where they were very, very long with lots of contracts that have helped to make that go more smoothly over the course of the year. From the standpoint of the staff and 
and the people who apply, has there been an, an improvement? Or, I mean, in the sense that was this a change and is, has it been, have you gotten feedback on, on yeah. doing all of this? I, I think that this has brought a level of organization to things that has, has calmed some of the chaos. Okay. Um, I think it has made things simpler. We're doing less um, renewals of grants. Uh -huh. um, so I think that has eased workload somewhat. Okay. Steve would be an informed uh, from the contract I, side. I think uh, the fact that we did uh, 212 action items last fiscal year is pretty significant. And the fact that we're able to break it up into these three phases and be able to target it and have the terms of the contracts be four years at a time, rather than I think, I think prior to this we were having various different years of terms. So having a standardized terms and structure allowed us to be more efficient and optimal in our resources. And as you know, we have very limited resources. Uh, so you see on the next, uh, last year was quite a bit of uh, uh, case management, a lot of the activities that are done. And this year you see our focus for uh, uh, advocacy and such. And next year you see quite a bit of renewal of the, uh, the nutrition programs. So being able to focus on that in the four-year cycles also allows us to have, I think, be efficient and hopefully have a consistency throughout. I have a question. Yeah. Do uh, <clears throat> any of these, does any of this data reflect a loss of uh, personnel in the agencies to provide services, which seems to be happening in all kinds of services since COVID. And so sometimes you want to do everything you've put out here, and then you have nobody to do the work. So what does that look like? It is not, it, it, is, a, it is a thing that we are working through right now. People are really um, putting, in, putting in their time to get this, to get all this stuff done. Um, it is. It is, we are, it is not a reflection um, in this right at this moment, yeah. I would also like to emphasize that, uh, you know, from CBO's perspective, that is a very, very tough um, market because of very, very high competition. But it's not only the, uh, the agencies itself, but also our staff, program staff and contract staff are mm -hmm. down quite a bit. As a matter of fact, I think both of our groups are probably down about a third of our regular staff headcount. So that is a quite a bit of challenge that we're, I think we're all enduring. Thank you. Other comments? Sure. Commissioner Lum. Yeah, under the uh, legal assistance for veterans, um, I understand it's being contract contracted to a source of plowshare, uh, uh, and I know that is a very, very you know, uh, uh, efficient and, uh, and, and uh, excellent organization. Um, but does the county, service, county Veterans Service office, office retain control and, over, and oversees these cases? Yes, as a matter of fact, that is a, a county veteran services organization who is the prime contact, who is working with the Soldier Plowshare to coordinate that program. And this is a part of the Mental Health Services Act uh, that was uh, under the Proposition 63 in 2020 that arrived that funding for the grant for the California Department of Veteran Affairs. Okay. Thank you. Any other questions from commissioners? Okay. We covered that one well, um, and, and we really, I, you know, my additional comment is just I love having a schedule and a plan and how we're going forward, so much appreciate it. An even distribution. An even distribution. So, um, Ravi, you're up. Okay, are there any members of the public that would like to comment on the presentation of the DAS FY23-24 schedule for requests for proposals? 
Moderator, please open the phone line for public comment on the presentation of the DOS FY2324 schedule for requests for proposals. We'll allow some time for callers to submit their requests. Moderator, do we have any callers in the queue? There are no callers. Thank you very much. Okay, hearing no further comments to speak on the items, we'll close public comment. Commissioners, item 12C through 12G are action items that require a vote by the commission. Action item 12C is, is, is next, and it's, um, we're requesting review and adoption of the DOS Office of Community Partnership Program Memorandum Number 33, the Consumer Grievance Process. Mike Zog will present this item. Uh, good morning, Commissioners, Executive Director Dearman. I'm Mike Zog from Office of Community Partnerships. Uh, the item before you today um, is presenting a current uh, policy in place with the department that the Office of Community Partnerships um, has with our contractors providing services in the community. Uh, a yes vote from you today um, adopts, officially adopts uh, this policy, uh, you as our governing board adopting the policy. Um, we are bringing this today um, in response to a request from the California Department of Aging who brought it to our attention that technically this needs to be adopted adopted uh, by the commission. Um, this document before you is not a new document. Uh, it has been in effect since at least 2001 um, in this format with some revisions over the years. Um, this document is... As you, as you look through this uh, program memorandum, it is a highly technical document as it is something that um, is kind of incorporating all the various um, uh, regulations and requirements in order to create a baseline for what our grievance policy looks like. Um, I kind of have included some additional documents to try to give a little context to what's what's going on with all this. Um, you know, we're committed to uh, giving our clients the ability to raise their concerns about services. Um, we ask that it start at the provider level, but they have appeal rights up through that that we will respect um, and provide timely response uh, to them along the way. I kind of have this uh, little chart that I built that's in there um, that just summarizes the three levels. Again, level one is at the, the provider level. Um, level two, if, if a client is not satisfied with the result of their, their, their grievance at that provider, um, they are given the opportunity to appeal it to the department. At the department level, it is handled by our um, uh, clinical and quality improvement team. Um, they are uh, independent, they are part of DOS, but different from um, Office Community Partnerships. So I think they bring um, some level of independence to the process and oversight. Um, if that process does not um, satisfy the the client, um, they have the ability to appeal to a third level, which is a, a panel of advisory council members who will conduct um, a sort of formal but informal hearing on the matter um, and issue a decision. Um, the additional document I've got in here is that as part of this policy, we ask our providers to develop their own policy um, and include the ability and require them to give notice to the clients that they have this, this right. So here we have, this is, is a sample sign that we give as a template. It does not have to be used exactly like this, um, but it is to provide some, some 
you know, a template for them. When our staff go out for our annual programming monitoring visit, we, we, we check to make sure that it's clearly marked um, and it's clearly visible for people um, accessing services. We also ask about um, clients who don't come into a center and how are they, um, how are they notified of these rights? The answer is usually through a um, welcome packet of information when they join, when they join the program. Um, I think that's all I've got for you today, but I'm happy to answer any questions about this. Are there any questions from the commissioners? Um, I do have a question yeah. and comment, I guess. Um, I, I mean, as far as the um, document itself, is it pretty much, it says draft, but it's pretty much what been used since, uh, in, since this has been in place since 20, 2003 and so forth? Yeah. Uh, okay, yeah. okay. Yeah, we, you know, I will say that technically, I didn't, it, technically, this most recent round, in addition to bringing it before the commission, they asked us to scrub the term complaint from it and to only use the term grievance, okay. um, which I have done. I opted not to bring this to you in red line because it would become a whole mess and mm. didn't know how material it would be, but full disclosure. Okay. Anywhere it used to say complaint, which might be a more easily understood term, was removed by request for the term grievance. Okay. The main reason I'm asking is um, I don't want to rock any boats, but when I was reviewing it, I found that the time frames to file uh, grievance were a little confusing, so you might want to just take a look at that. Okay. Okay. I mean, I got the, the big picture as described on your chart. It's very clear. But it's kind of that in-between steps, like uh, you know, when can a person file grievance? Is it within a certain days from the time the the, the uh, action took place? So that's not defined. And then, um, but anyway, take a look at that if it if it needs to be okay. tightened up or it's been working, then it's fine. Okay. Okay. And then um, my last comment has to do with the sign. It's a suggestive format. It's not like a final final thing. Correct. Okay. Um, my suggestion is to ensure that under first step that the organization does indicate exactly the name of the person that they need to file the contact with. It says you have a right to pursue the next step, but it doesn't, and it says the program director, but it doesn't give the name or the contact information. Contact. Yeah. Right. Jim. Right. Okay. And also the second step, I noticed we're using uh, the information hub uh, number as the source of complaint. Um, Perhaps if there's uh, ability to uh, offer another way of contact rather than just telephone, uh, individual, some individuals may have issues or difficulty picking up that phone and make that make that grievance. Okay. Yeah. Could it be an email or some other way to contact the uh, DOS? Wonderful comments. Thank you. Any other comments or questions from the commission? Sure. Um, can you give us a say? This has essentially been in place for a long time. Um, what is the volume of complaint and, and from at each tier? Like, how often does it occur that that unit needs to confirm and how many complaints are there? Yeah, yeah. yeah. The vast the, the vast majority happen and are resolved at the provider level. We do not keep a close track on that so we okay. don't have the volume on that. We do keep track at that second level when it comes to DOS. And I think it's typically in the one to two um, grievances per month. 
Okay. Um, so 10 to 20 per year um, with not really a, not necessarily a pattern or consistency to how, what they're about or how they're resolved, mm -hmm. I guess. And how often does it go? Yeah, so yeah, yeah. So out of that, let's say there's ten in a year, you know, um, a couple will be um, will a couple our clinical and quality improvement will make recommendations to OCP and to the provider. Mm -hmm. I think we've had things about where the provider was not clear enough and or timely enough in responding to the person on their um, their their concerns. Um, we have some where the, the there's no sort of action that that could happen, and then there's always one or two that are sort of abandoned um, along hmm. the way. The person the person withdraws. Okay. We have not, in recent memory, had one go to the third level. Okay. Thank you for asking my question. Yeah, and it sounds like <laughs> a pretty robust process. I mean, people yeah. can file grievances and. Correct. Our department and I, is handling them, and it's our clinical and quality improvement team does a pretty good job of they, they document it and they come and talk to us and they say what's going on and they will give guidance when, when it's appropriate. Yeah. Okay. One more question or another question? Just because numbers mean something, and I'm just wondering if the low level of numbers of grievances is possibly because people aren't aware the program exists? Right, right. I, I don't think I'm coming in here saying everything's great because they're so low. I don't think we can, but I think we're going out and we're making sure that signage is there. We're making sure that clients are aware of, of these things. Um, so I, I think we're doing our best to make sure people are aware of these rights. Um, okay. So. I don't. I, I don't know that we need to take get more. Uh, I don't. I don't know that we're there. That we need. That we're informed that we need to be more aggressive about it. I guess getting it out there. Yeah. Thank you. Okay. Mr. Secretary, do we have anyone from the public who wishes to comment on item 12C? Are there any members of the public that would like to comment on agenda item 12C? Moderator, please open the phone line for public comment on agenda item 12C. We will hold while. It with callers in the queue. Moderator, are there any callers in the queue? There are no callers, thank you very much. Hearing no further requests to speak on this item, we will close public comment. Is there a motion to approve? I move. Second. We have a uh, first and a second. Mr. Secretary, please take a roll call vote for, uh, for item C. President Janet White Spears, how do you vote? Yes. Vice President Nelson Lum, how do you vote? Yes. Commissioner Martha Knudsen, how do you vote? Yes. Commissioner Sasha Bittner, how do you vote? Yes. Commissioner Wanda Zhang, how do you vote? Yes. Commissioner Barbara Sklar, how do you vote? Yes. And Commissioner Linda Parker Pennington, how do you vote? Yes. Thanks. We have a unanimous vote. Thank you. Thank you, Mr. Zog. Our next item is item 12D, requesting authorization to enter into a contract with Ride Trans for the provision of high-risk transportation services to benefit clients served through the Office of Public Conservatorship and the Adult Protective Services Program for the period of January 1st, 2024 through June 30th, 2025 in the amount not to exceed $200,000. Sandra Texera? 
correct. Oh, good. We'll present this item. Good morning, President Spears, fellow commissioners, and executive director Dearman. I'm Sandra Texera, the program manager at the Office of the Public Conservator. I've been with the Public Conservator's Office since 2007. The Office of the Public Conservator works with individuals that are deemed gravely disabled due to mental illness and or chronic alcoholism because they cannot provide for their basic necessities such as food, clothing, and shelter. The Adult Protective Services Program ensures the safety of older adults and adults with disabilities by investigating reports of suspected abuse and or neglect. As a routine function, the Public Conservator and Adult Protective Services programs often transport high-risk clients who have high levels of need, including those with the potential for unpredictable and aggressive behaviors, including elopement. The Public Conservator uses high-risk transportation services on average of six times per month on an annual basis. Typically, these clients are transported from hospital or jail to locked treatment facilities. Other examples are transporting clients to legal proceedings and or medical appointments. In the adult protective services context, transportation is used to assist clients to meet with legal services providers, to attend medical appointments, and or to obtain benefits. Commissioners, I seek your approval for this contract. If you have any questions for me about this contract, I am happy to answer them. Thank you. Commissioners, are there questions um, for this particular item? Sure. Yeah. Uh, yes. Uh, I, I just have a question. I'm wondering if this might be affected by the uh, CARE Court uh, initiative that Governor Newsom is moving forward with because more people will be um, potentially uh, conserved and uh, you know require these services. I don't know because this probably was moving along before that <laughs> was announced. Both. It was moving along before that, and certainly with Care Court, we are anticipating. Although it's hard to tell in in terms of numbers, but you are anticipating um, helping additional people. All right. So you it would potentially then you may need to modify it because I would imagine the the uh, it doesn't seem like a lot of money, but there may not be a big volume right now. Yeah, I'm comfortable with this budget, mm -hmm. um, but we will be monitoring the care court petitions as they come in, um, and we may be back to ask for an amendment, but at this point, we are comfortable with this budget. Um, the people we do transfer, high-risk transportation, is a small group. Um, our office serves almost 700 people, so it is a very particular group that we monitor extra closely by this mode of transport. Okay, thank you. You're welcome. Commissioner Lum. Yeah, on these uh, transportation services that, that, you, that you're referring to, this is after someone has been 5150 Correct, this is when the court has deemed the individual to be gravely disabled. They are now under a conservatorship. Okay, thank you. Any other questions from commissioners? Mr. Secretary, will you see if there are uh, questions from the public? Are there any members of the public that would like to comment on agenda item 12D? Moderator, please open the phone line for agenda item 12D. We'll wait some time for callers to submit their request.
moderator, are there any callers in the queue? There are no callers. Thank you very much. Hearing no further requests to speak on this item, we will close public comment. Is there a motion to approve item 12D? So move. Second. It's been moved and seconded. Uh, Mr. Secretary, will you please take a roll call vote? President item Janet e. Spears, how do you vote? Yes. Vice President Nelson Lum, how do you vote? Yes. Commissioner Martha Knutson, how do you vote? Yes. Commissioner Sasha Bittner, how do you vote? And Commissioner Wanda Jung, how do you vote? Yes. Commissioner Barbara Sklar, how do you vote? Yes. And Commissioner Linda Parker Pennington, how do you vote? Yes. Thanks. We have a unanimous vote. Thank you very much. Thank you. Commissioners, uh, we're on item 12E, requesting authorization to enter into a new, a new grant with Haven of Hope for the provision of Disability Community Cultural Center. Ooh, DCCC. During, <laughs> during the period of October 1st, 2023 through June 30th, 2027, in the amount of 3,877,259,000 plus a 10% contingency for a total grant amount not to exceed $4,264,985. Maceo Pearson? Person. It's in person. Hmm. We'll present this item. Thank you. Hi, um, good morning, President Spears, fellow commissioners, and Executive Director Dearman. Uh, my name is Maceo Person, and I am the Special Projects Manager at DOS's Office of Community Partnerships. Um, and I just want to take a moment to point out that Emily Smith Bakis is in the audience with us, who is part of, will be part of the DCCC. Um, and commissioners, we're finally here. It's a big moment. Um, so with this contract, San Francisco and the Department of Disability and Aging Services will be taking historic action to address the impacts of ableism on deaf and disability communities. This grant will create the nation's first municipally funded community cultural center led by and centering deaf and disabled community, adding another chapter to San Francisco's prolific disability history. San Francisco's deaf and disability communities have been glo global leaders in social justice movements. In 1977, leaders organized a historic 504 occupation of the federal building. They staged occupation because there were no regulations to the new civil rights protections that were passed just a few years earlier. And they were supposed to guarantee civil rights to deaf and dis disabled community. So the community occupied the federal building for 26 days to eventually win critical regulations to enforce the law. And this struggle served as the foundation to passing the ADA. Establishing the Disability Community Cultural Center builds on San Francisco's rich legacy and will provide a virtual and physical space to honor this history and further advance disability justice. The center will be a space full of life where people will be able to access referrals to critical services, explore and express their identities through art and education, where community will be able to gather and advocate for change and connect to each other. And you can see it over there. It's, will be, it's actually just across the street. As Diane pointed out, there's structures already happening. And over the next couple of years, as you come through commission meetings, you'll be able to see the building itself be constructed. It's going to be at 165 Grove Street on the corner of Ness and Grove. And it has a view towards this very room, probably. Mm. Um, it's going to be located on the ground floor of the Kelsey Civic Center a disability-forward and affordable housing community built by the Kelsey and Mercy Housing with 112 beautiful and accessible new housing units. Oh. Haven of Hope and their subcontractor, Longmore Institute on Disability at SF State, have a standing track record of providing services and cultural programming led by and for people with disabilities. 
The services delivered under this grant will be accomplished in three phases, a planning phase, a virtual phase, and a brick and mortar phase. The timeline for these phases will be depending on building development. However, the first phase will start now um, and go through June of 2024, and that's the planning phase. And so in that phase, the grantee will work closely with DOS, HSA, the Kelsey and Mercy Housing on the build out of the space. They will also deliver a project plan that includes some timelines, an outreach plan, service deliverables, method of evaluation for the virtual and brick and mortar space. Uh, the virtual phase will launch on July of 2024 and will last through around spring of 2025 when the estimate opening of the building is going to happen. The virtual launch will start before the brick and mortar opens, and it will include creative and cultural programs, and information and referral resources, and the development of an advisory council. Then through the collaboration, dedication, and advocacy of deaf and disability communities, spring of 2025 will finally culminate with the grand opening and operation of the first municipally funded disability community cultural center in the nation. So it's with enthusiasm that the Department of Disability and Aging Services requests your approval for this contract with LC and Lily Cox Haven of Hope for the Disability Community Cultural Center. And I'm happy to do my best to answer any questions that you may have. Um, and thank you so much. Um, uh, Commissioner Bittner, please yes. go for it. I'm with first of all, excited about it as usual work I kind of find regarding us in terms of disability wise and in terms of honoring the disability community so I'm just incredibly excited and I just um, wanted to say that and also to offer however I can help in this process, I would really like to be involved in whatever way I can because, you know, I'm like the, um, the protest and disabilities that um, the longest occupation in U.S. history really inspired me when I was a young person growing up and was one of the foundations for my disability rights journey. So, I mainly wanted to congratulate you and to offer whatever help I can. That's wonderful. Thank you so much, Commissioner Bittner. Are there others who would like to make comments? Uh, sure. Yes, I, 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 I couldn't be more excited about this um, center. I really, um, really excited about yeah. this happening. And I just want to point out since we were talking about acronyms earlier, you know, yes. you know, DCCC stands for the Democratic Campaign. <laughs> this is true. It can be confusing whether people will decide to call it DCCC or DCCC. <laughs> yes. 
<laughs> so, all right, I just want to just point out the obvious confusion that might abound once, I mean, it, it just mm. you start just to use the acronym, and then there's another one that's using the same acronym. So that's very well known, yes. About it, but, okay. So thank you. <laughs> all right, good work. Excellent. Yeah. We'll probably just take turns. <laughs> Please. Yeah, this is just such a moment. Um, I think that thank you for including the Longmere um, report. That was so helpful um, to read every word of it um, and to understand the context and sort of explain uh, how we are doing this thing and how it came about. Um, as a member of the LGBT community, I know how important uh, the culture and a strong identity um, are to the politics of something. And you're, um, when you become confident about um, pushing forward with um, an idea. And so I'm so pleased to see, first of all, the history recognized and how this study really made that connection between the importance of a cultural awareness, a sense of history to your identity, and then pushing that forward to, um, to a, a new world <laughs> mm -hmm. and a new vision. So I know I get emotional, but <laughs> I'm allowed um, that because this is just such a historic uh, thing. So I just want to congratulate you for being this excellent presentation and um, we're looking forward to seeing uh, it come from a an idea. I love the fact that there's going to be a virtual, you know, yeah, we can do this before it's built kind of idea. And uh, and then this this building, which is really going to happen very soon. So uh, I'm just very excited about it. Thank you. May I make a historical comment? Um, yes. In the 70s, and I can't remember exactly what year, um, no, Director Silverman of the Health Department called together a group of people to look at health, cultural diversity and where services were going in the country. And one of the members of the uh, gay community at that time said, we need our own cultural space. And I looked and I said, I thought we were all in this together. And he said, no, there are different issues. And I was a neophyte. I was a brand new to San Francisco. I didn't know a lot. And to me, this was one of the things that really started that going, is that it was essential to have that identity recognized in terms of health care at the time. And so I feel like I was there. <laughs> and this is yeah. very, very exciting to me. So thank you very much. Thank you. Sure. I just have a comment. I'd have to say I was reviewing uh, this grant and the report at home, and I went, yes. We did it. We're here. <laughs> we took that, we're taking that big step. So I'm, I share uh, the other commissioner's excitement that we are indeed at this place. Um, I just lost, want to also comment that I felt uh, in reviewing it that uh, this is one a, a very well thought out uh, contract in terms of the three different stages. Um, I really appreciate the fact that we're bringing in um, a advisory committee or a peer, I forget exactly, the peer steering committee. I think it's wonderful to have. I think that's important and it's great. Um, the uh, only thing, I, just a comment, uh, not necessarily a concern, is uh, with all the different pieces uh, going on, you know, with Mercy Housing, with the housing part, uh, with our contract here, with the services, with the, with the the culture center with the bill out with the building 
um, to, uh, you know, how can we ensure that all the dots keep connected and that there aren't any gaps or miscommunication through this process? And will you be the one that basically is the point person for DOS in terms of this project? Yes, I'll be the point person for DOS. And right now we've been meeting weekly um, with the Kelsey and Mercy Housing. Um, and soon the operators, the grantees of the DCCC will join as well, making sure that the movement and the construction of the building moves succinctly with um, the plans for the DCC. And I agree, there's a lot of moving pieces, but you know, we keep learning as we go, so thank you. Excellent work, really exciting. Yeah. Sure, one more, another comment? Commissioner? Yeah. I share in the uh, enthusiasm of my uh, fellow commissioners about this project, and I really look forward to the opening. Thank you. And I, I just have one more thing. I, mm -hmm. I would love to for us to be able to get a tour, uh, you know, like a hard hat tour, you know, before the opening or whenever it's at a stage where it, that's viable, not, you know. That'd be wonderful. Okay. Now, we would love to have you all over there and take a tour and, yeah, do a visit and events. So thank you. Actually, I, I just have one more question. I noticed the study was done under um, the leadership, under there was a leadership committee involved. Um, is there going to be some loop back to the members of that committee about where we are and, um, and getting feedback about, you know, is the information still accurate? Is there anything yeah. that we need to incorporate? Because this study was done like four years ago. No, thank you for making that point. I will get back to you on that, but that's a really excellent note. Thank you. And, and with the uh, pleasure of being the president, I just want to commend you and the whole team for the work that has gotten us to this point. Um, this is a monumental step in the right direction. Um, it has been a long time coming, and I am so pleased that we are at this point, and um, there will be so, ma so many beneficiaries of this cultural center. Um, and uh, thank you for being that point of contact for us as we go forward. Of course, thank you so much. Um, uh, I guess it's me, is it me? Yeah. <laughs> Are there any people, um, any people in the public who would like to speak on this item? Mr. Secretary, will you please see if there's anyone who would like to speak on this item also? Are there any members of the public that would like to comment on agenda item 12E? Please come up. You have uh, three minutes, so I'll let you know it. Thank you. 30 seconds. Hi, good morning, commissioners and uh, Director Dearman. Um, my name is Emily Badix. I'm the interim director at the Longmore Institute and will be um, uh, the subcontractor on this project. I just want to share a few words and appreciate all the enthusiasm that has already been expressed. Um, in 2017 and 2018, we had the strategic plan, the Longmore Institute had the strategic plan with DOS to, to really listen to San Francisco residents with disabilities and hear the hopes and dreams for what the center would look like. And it was such an honor and a privilege to get to hear those dreams. And uh, now that this is moving forward in this new stage, I could not think of a better partner than Haven of Hope to be carrying out those dreams because DOS really asked us to make sure we were hearing from all San Franciscans with disabilities. And the Longmore Institute has a, a record of really great cultural programming that reaches people who are really comfortable identifying and, and very proud in disability identity. Haven of Hope has been serving 
communities who um, disability is very much part of their lives, but maybe don't identify in the same way. And so I'm just so grateful for this collaboration to get to really think about those dreams, carry out those dreams, and also reach people who maybe don't today think of themselves as dis disabled, but are living with disabilities. So I just thank you all for the work and, and thank DOS for all the work that uh, leads to this moment today. Thank you. Thank you very much. Are there other pu public comments? Are there any members, other members of the public that would like to speak on this item? Moderator, please open the phone lines and we'll ask for public comment. I will give you one minute for callers in the queue. Moderator. Uh, my name is Francisco da Costa. Hello, hold on one second. And what I want to bring to your attention is... Can you hear me? Hold on one second. I'm going to start your timer right now. We'll start three minutes, and your time starts now. Thank you. Go My ahead, name caller. is Francisco de Costa, and I want to bring to your attention that the Bay Area and San Francisco have played a leading role to represent the disability community. And when we have an agenda item like this, we have to do some outreach so that the disability community can express themselves. Now, the president that we have, Joe Biden, he played a leading role in helping us. But here in San Francisco, as much as we say, that we are helping the disability community. We don't have the, the statistics or the empirical data that show how we are doing it. So we need to walk the walk. But again, I request you to have a general meeting for the disability community so that you can really find out for yourselves how the disability community, especially during the pandemic, has suffered so much. Thank you very much. Are you ready? Thank you, caller. I believe there are are there, are there anybody anybody else in the queue? No more callers in the queue. Okay, just making sure. I'm hearing no further requests to speak on this item. We'll close public comment. Is there a motion to approve? I move. <laughs> <laughs> Commissioner Bittner. Commissioner Bittner moves, and is there a second? Second. <laughs> second from Commissioner Parker Pennington. Um, Mr. Secretary, please take a roll call vote. President Janet Weiss Spears, how do you vote? Yes. Vice President Nelson Lum, how do you vote? Yes. Commissioner Martha Knutson, how do you vote? Yes. Commissioner Sasha Bidner, how do you vote? God, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Commissioner Wanda Jung, how do you vote? Yes. Commissioner Barbara Sklar, how do you vote? Yes. And Commissioner Linda Parker Pennington, how do you vote? Yes. Thank you. We have a unanimous vote. Thank you, Mr. Persons. Thank, Thank you. you. Commissioners, um, item number 12F is new business requesting authorization to enter into a new contract, a new grant agreement with Independent Living Resource Center for the provision of an ADRC 
Aging and Disability Resource Center in San Francisco Supervisory Rule District 6 during the period of October 1st, 2023 through June 30th, 2024 in the amount of $134,000 plus a 10% contingency for a total amount not to exceed $147,400. Um, Sarah Hoferberg will present this item. Thank you. I'm looking forward to following that. Um, <laughs> good morning, everyone. President Spears, Commissioners, and Executive Director Dearman. My name is Sarah Hoferberg, and I'm a program analyst with the Office of Community Partnerships at the Department of Disability and Aging Services. I'm here today to request your approval to enter into a new grant agreement with the Independent Living Resource Center of San Francisco, or ILRCSF, for the provision of the District 6 Aging and Dis Disability Resource Center. Aging and Disability Resource Centers, or ADRCs, administer information, referral, assistance, and translation services at locations throughout San Francisco, providing crucial support for many older adults, adults with disabilities, veterans, and caregivers in the community. ADRC services are structured to ensure availability and accessibility throughout San Francisco with at least one ADRC in each of the supervisory districts, thereby providing services in the community where the client lives. In April of 2022, the San Francisco Supervisorial District lines were redrawn, leaving the new District 6 without an ADRC. In order to address this service gap, the DOS Office of Community Partnerships allocated a portion of an existing California Department of Aging ADRC infrastructure grant to fund an additional ADRC in the new District 6. The current grant term for all existing ADRCs ends on June 30th, 2024, and the new grant agreement with ILRC will provide ADRC services in District 6 through the end of that term. As Mike Zog noted in the RFP calendar presentation, an RFP for the next ADRC grant term will be issued this fall. The Independent Living Resource Center of San Francisco is uniquely qualified to hit the ground running as the District 6 ADRC. They have been serving seniors and adults with disabilities since 1977. ILRCSF offers information, support, and advocacy around a wide variety of issues which are vital in establishing and maintaining independent community-based living. These include adult day healthcare, caregiver assistance and support, community services, health and wellness, education, emergency preparedness, employment, financial assistance, food and nutrition assistance, housing and shelter, in-home care, disability resources, vocational training, wheelchair repair, LGBTQ programs and services, and transportation. ILRCSF has well-established relationships with providers across San Francisco and has robust outreach built into all the work they do. In addition to a designated staff person who specializes in information and referral, all ILRC SF staff are able to provide information, referral, and application assistance. A majority of ILRC SF staff have a disability, and a majority of the staff identify as LGBTQ+. Languages used by staff include English, Spanish, several dialects of Chinese, Farsi, and ASL or American Sign Language. The many years of experience serving the older adult and disability communities combined with the diversity of staff make ILRCSF naturally suited to operate as the new District 6 ADRC. That is my presentation and I'll do my best to answer any questions you might have at this time. Thank you. Thank you. Commissioners, do we have any questions? Whoa. Oh. <laughs> 
Thank you. Very straightforward. Thank you for that. No questions. Uh, no questions. Um, uh, Secretary, will you please open the phone lines or first ask for public comment and then open the phone lines? Are there any members of the public that would like to comment on agenda item 12F? Moderator, please open the phone line for a public comment on agenda item 12F. We'll give a few moments for callers to enter the queue. Moderator, do we have any callers in the queue? There are no callers. Thank you very much. We can move on to oh, the vote. Yeah, I'm, I'm getting there. <laughs> <laughs> I'm having a day. Um, hearing no further comments to speak in this item, is there a motion to approve item uh, 12? So move. A, a second. Second. And a second from, from Commissioner um, Knutson. Um, Mr. Secretary, will you please take a roll call vote for item 12F? President Janet Spears, how do you vote? Yes. Vice President Nelson Lum, how do you vote? Yes. Commissioner Martha Knutson, how do you vote? Yes. Commissioner Sasha Bittner, how do you vote? Yeah. Commissioner Wanda Jung, how do you vote? Yes. Commissioner Barbara Sklar, how do you vote? Yes. And Commissioner Linda Parker Pennington, how do you vote? Yes. Thanks. We have a unanimous vote. Thank you. Thank you. Before I go to the next item, I'm just going to make reference that if everyone would check their phones and make sure that they are in silent mode. Um, I got a little confused about the timing, but it's 1120 that we will have a nationwide alert. And uh, just so we can continue to conduct business, just um, make sure your phone is silent. Thank you so much. I thought we might be finished by 1120, but maybe not. Um, <laughs> Item 12G is new business, requesting authorization to modify the existing grant with self-help for the elderly for the provision of senior escort services during the period of October 1st, 2023 through June 30th, 2027 in the, in the additional amount of $404,000 plus a 10% contingency to re, for a revised total amount not to exceed $3,344,000. Uh, Melissa McGee will present this item. Thank you. Hello again, uh, President Spears, Commissioners, Executive Director Dearman, uh, Melissa McGee, Program Manager with Office of Community Partnerships. I am seeking your approval to modify the existing grant agreement with Self-Help for the Elderly for the Senior Escorts Program. The purpose of this modification is to provide additional funding that will enable the program to increase provision of escort services to older adults and adults with disabilities for activities to ensure safety on San Francisco streets for the remainder of this fiscal year and the term of the contract. This funding was provided specifically for this service by mayoral initiative. The funding will enable the program to provide an additional 750 escort services in this current year and 1,000 additional escort services in the following three years of the contract term. It will also provide some funding for operational costs. Self-help for the elderly will provide escort services to older adults and adults with disabilities citywide in San Francisco. The escort services will be either on a one-to-one -one basis or in groups. Program staff will connect with consumers who have escort service needs. Once a, re a referral is received, staff will confirm date, time, meeting place, types of activities, and will provide the escort service. Staff will meet client and accompany them to their activity or um, 
where, wherever they need to go. I request your approval to enter into this contract. Are there any questions or comments? Thank you. Commissioners, are there any questions or comments? Please, we'll start um, here. I think I've asked this question before when the funding came up at, uh, I don't know if it was originally, but we've had this funding request before. Um, is part of the reason we need the escort service, I certainly understand that part of it is hate um, against the Asian community and uh, um, difficulties on the street and getting around, and I certainly understand that. Is another aspect to this the general awareness of how unsafe it is on the Muni? Um, and does that, uh, is that yeah. a part of the reason? And mm -hmm. could you address that? Just so because I, it, I'm very aware of that right yeah. now. Yeah. So initially, at its very beginning, the first time it came, it was specifically about the rise in hate, uh, hate crimes against API community. But at that time, when we first started, I think our goal was to provide 200 escort services in Chinatown. And it's grown to include wherever people need to go and however they need to go there, and acknowledging that it's not just the API community, but the community in general, both on the streets, in Muni, in lines, waiting at the bank, um, and various other places. So they're able to address the need in all those locations. Whatever the person needs is what they'll provide. And so they'll ride Muni with them. They they have some transportation needs if they need to take a lift. I mean, tra transportation funds if a lift is the only option. So however they can help the person feel safe. And do you know if that is communicated to Muni? So if we, if we are starting to, to have this even anecdotally, that's one some of the reasons, and I, I, I support this a thousand yeah. percent, believe me, but is that being communicated to Muni? And that's is there a, any, yeah. any effort at all to try to make? Yeah, the, I don't know, but the, it's a good this, point, this and we'll certainly talk people. about it. Yeah, I know. I yeah, know. now but, that you've brought it up. For, yeah. yeah, I just wondered if there's an appropriate mechanism for that, yeah. if, if we could get some to, assistance. It's good to share that we have this program, and one of the reasons is, mm -hmm. yeah. Okay, thank you. Thank you. Other comments from commissioners or questions? Hearing none, uh, Mr. Secretary, please ask. Are there any members of the public that would like to comment on agenda item 12G? Moderator, please open the phone lines for public comment on agenda item 12G. We'll wait a few minutes for callers to enter the queue. Moderator, do we have any callers in the queue? There are no callers. Thank you very much. Hearing no further requests to speak on this item, we will close public comment. Is there a motion to approve item 12G? So move. Second. Move by, <laughs> move by two commissioners. Mr. Secretary, will you please take a roll call vote for item 12G? President Janet Spears, how do you vote? Yes. Vice President Nelson Lum, how do you vote? Yes. Commissioner Martha Knutson, how do you vote? Yes. Commissioner Sasha Bittner, how do you vote? Yes. Commissioner Wanda Jung, how do you vote? Yes. Commissioner Barbara Sklar, how do you vote? Yes. And Commissioner Linda Parker-Pennington, how do you vote? Yes. Thanks. We have a unanimous vote. Thank you, Mrs. McGee. Um, item number 13. Early. That's early. <laughs> it doesn't. That is silent mode. Yes, sir, a few minutes early. <laughs> <laughs> Even if Thank you for the heads up. Silent. I think you have to turn them off, actually. Like throw them no, away. Have to might have to just throw it away. Power off. 
Oh. All right. They were early. <laughs> you were fine. Okay. They did oh, it early. That's fine. <laughs> oh, oh, no. no. <laughs> okay, so that was our announcement. Um, <laughs> no, truly, are there any announcements from the commissioners? Um, or if, are there any announcements? Um, any announcements? Hmm. We'll separate them next time. <laughs> <laughs> Um, I'm going to adjourn this meeting of the San Francisco Department of Disability and Aging Services. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you.